Amen. If you would please remain standing as Susan comes to read our scripture for us. If you would please remain standing for the reading of God's word. Our scripture this morning comes out of the book of James yet again. James chapter 3 verses 1 through 12. Susan will come and read our scripture for us. Not many of you should presume to be teachers, my brothers, because you know that we who teach will be judged more strictly. We all stumble in many ways. If anyone is never at fault in what he says, he is a perfect man, able to keep his whole body in check. When we put bits into the mouths of horses to make them obey us, we can turn the whole animal. Or take ships as an example. Although they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are steered by a very small rudder wherever the pilot wants to go. Likewise, the tongue is a small part of the body, but it makes great boasts. Consider what a great forest is set on fire by a small spark. The tongue also is a fire, a world of evil among the paths of the body, parts of the body. It corrupts the whole person, sets the whole course of his life on fire, and is itself set on fire by hell. All kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, and creatures of the sea are being tamed and have been tamed by man, but no man can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. With the tongue we praise our Lord and Father, and with it we curse men who have been made in God's likeness. Out of the same mouth come praise and cursing. My brothers, this should not be. Can both fresh water and salt water flow from the same spring? My brothers, can a fig tree bear olives or a grapevine bear figs? Neither can a salt spring produce fresh water. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Would you bow with me? All to Jesus, I surrender. Lord, I give myself to thee. Fill me with my love, with thy love and power. Let thy blessings fall on me. I surrender all. We surrender all. All to thee, our blessed Savior, we surrender all. Amen. You may be seated. Not long ago, a very good clergy friend of mine heard some words from a doctor that no preacher ever wants to hear. He had been having, it was a, a Christmas not long ago, and he had been having some, some problems with his voice. He thought it was, first he thought it was allergies, and then thought maybe he had had a, a winter cold like we often get in the, in the middle of that holiday season. And, and then he thought maybe it was turning into laryngitis. He was beginning to, to lose his voice day after day, and so he was saving up his voice for, for Sunday morning. But he began to realize even on Sunday morning, this went on for a couple of months, even on Sunday mornings his voice was beginning to get, to get coarse and to get raspy, and he found that if he, that if he talked much during, during the middle of the week that he was not able then 
uh, to preach on Sunday morning or at least preach in a way that he could be heard. And so after a couple of months of this, he finally went, he finally went to the doctor and he heard, he heard again what, what preachers never want to hear. And the doctor said, I'm afraid that you have some nodules on your larynx or your voice box. And uh, there are some treatments for this. Surgery is the last treatment, but it can be uh, because where, of where these nodules are, it can be, well, it can be, it can be very, very serious. And so what you're going to need to do is to not talk for the next six months. Now, my friend was, was relatively new in his church, and he wasn't exactly sure how his church would respond with a, with a new preacher at their church, but then he, he was going to have to go six months without, without talking. And so he looked, at the, he looked at the doctor, and he said, Doc, you don't know what, I mean, do you, recognize, do you realize who I am and what I do? I am a preacher, and when you are messing with my voice, you are messing with me. When, when, when my voice is not here, or when, when, we, when you have to change my voice, then you're messing with, with absolutely who I am. I'm proud to say that my, my friend made the adjustments and his church responded, responded well. And so over the next six months, he did not preach on Sunday mornings. He could not even speak over a whisper. Phone calls were difficult with them. We did a lot of texting back and forth over the next six months. He didn't do anything other than a whisper, and I'm, I'm excited to announce that he has fully recovered. He has his voice back, and those nodules on his larynx have disappeared. But, but his statement, his statement has, to, to his doctor has really stuck with me. Doc, when you are when, when you get to my voice, when you start messing with my voice, you're really messing with me. You're really messing with me. I've, I've been thinking about that as I have been pondering this passage of Scripture that we have, that we're examining this morning. These words, when you mess with our voice. When, you are, when you're getting at our voice, you're getting to the very core of who we are. It, I, I, think it's, I think it's even more, more broad than what my friend had intended it as a pastor himself. Your, vo- your voice, your words, your tongue, really, that really is who you are and who I am tongue is a tattletale, and it tells on the heart. And Jesus said, out of the abundance of the heart, your mouth speaks. I think it's so very biblical what James here is saying in this passage of Scripture. The average person speaks 16,000 words per day. The average person. Now there have been there have been rumors that now. By the way, some of you speak uh, a lot more than others. I'm not going to point out who you are. Uh, there, there's rumors that women speak more than men. There's that's been a long time rumor. But actually, studies have been shown to show that men and women use the about the exact same amount of words. It's just that men typically use their words in the workplace. And women typically save their words up in the workplace, and they speak those words at home. And so we, we say typically the same amount of words, around 16,000 each and every day. That's a 
500-page novel every single week. That would, be, that would be over 58 novels per year, 48 or 400-page novels, over 58 novels per year. Danielle Steele and, uh, and Stephen King have, have nothing, have nothing on us. We speak a, a lot. Again, if you are a normal person, you will spend one-fifth of your life speaking. 20% of your entire lives, think about this, both, both sleeping and awake, 20% of your life will be spent speaking. I find it interesting that one of the very first things that happens when you go to the doctor, <coughs> excuse me, the doctor will take a look at your tongue. I find it interesting that, that if the doctor wants to take your temperature, he'll take a thermometer and stick it underneath your tongue to get your bodily temperature. But I think the Bible says that if you want to take your spiritual temperature, also we need to look at our, we need to look at our tongue. Scriptures refer to the disaster of the mouth throughout, throughout the entire biblical canon. We find, we find words about the disaster of the mouth. The tongue and the lips are mentioned over 300 times in the Bible, more than any other, more than any other organ of the body. The lips or the tongue or the mouth are, are mentioned. I, I went through a concordance, and I just jotted down a, a list of things a list of things that the Bible, that the, a list of words that the Bible uses to describe, to describe uh, the, the tongue or, or the mouth. A wicked tongue, a deceitful tongue, a lying tongue, a perverse tongue, a filthy tongue, a corrupt tongue, a bitter tongue, an angry tongue, a crafty tongue, a flattering tongue, a slanderous tongue, a gossiping tongue, a backbiting tongue, a blaspheming tongue, a foolish tongue, a boasting tongue, a murmuring tongue, a complaining tongue, a cursing tongue, and the list goes on and on and on. No wonder, no wonder someone once said that God put your tongue behind the cage of the teeth in order to keep it cooped up. Now, James. James, as you may well remember in this book entitled uh, The Book of James, this is a letter that James wrote to the Jewish Christians in the very, very early church. This likely was one of the very first writings that we have in the New Testament. James is writing to faithful Christians that were, the faithful Jewish Christians especially, that were scattered all, all over the Roman world. And, and some were beginning to take their, uh, their freedom in Christ. They were taking that to an extreme and saying to themselves, well, now I'm a follower of Jesus. Now there's no requirements of me whatsoever. But James says something different. He said, if you are going to live out this, if you're going to be a faithful follower of Jesus, if you are going to be a believer, you must live out this faith. The way you live, James says, tells you what kind of faith that you have. In fact, James says that if you aren't living out your faith, you really don't have real faith. We're going to look at that in a few, in a few weeks. And so the way that we live out our faith 
It's going to show up in how we endure troubles and trials, as we saw in chapter 1. It'll show up in, in our humility in temptation. It will show up in our obedience to the Scripture by, by, by loving concern to the needy without partiality. And now he says that this new life, this transformed life, this life of salvation will show up in the way that we speak. In the way that we speak. This is faith in the flesh, faith lived out. The way that we speak as followers of Jesus Christ tell more about what's in our heart than almost anything else than I can think of. It's why, it's why again, the, the, the manner of speech or the tongue or the mouth is mentioned over 300 times in the Bible. James is demanding here that we recognize that living faith, itself, living, it, living faith shows itself in the control of the tongue. So there are two main things that James says here in this passage of Scripture. First, James says that the tongue has the power to control. The way that we use our voice the words that we speak have the power to control. Now, to help us understand that, James gives us a, a number of different illustrations. The first, the first is uh, he mentions a horse. How do you control a horse? Well, I grew up with horses. Uh, from, a, from the time I was a young little boy, we had horses on the farm and ranch. And we had, some good, we had some horses that were really, really good. There were some horses that were really, really easy to catch. There were some horses that were, they, we, we, would have, we would have said that they had real good cow scents. There were other horses we had that were not quite so good. In fact, my very first job out of college, I was a ranch hand. If you can imagine me uh, wearing a cowboy hat and shaps and boots and spurs every single day, I rode a horse every single day the year after I graduated from college. I was a ranch hand. I would go out into the pastures and I would, I would look for sick cattle and I would, I would rope them and, and doctor them out in the middle of the cattle. And so I got to know horses even, even better than I, had, than I had known horses before. And the thing about the horse, as, as James points out, the way that you control a horse is that you put a bit in its mouth. And do you know how a bit works? So a bit is a, is a, middle, is, it's a little metal piece, really, that you put in the horse's mouth, and the horse does not have teeth on the back part of their mouth. And so that bit sits far back in their mouth, and there's a little bit of a, a curved piece on, on that bit. And so when you, when you pull on the reins or when you uh, push on the reins, you are, con you are pushing down on that horse's tongue, and the horse doesn't like it. And so if you, if you want the horse to slow down, you pull back on the reins just a little bit, and that presses on that horse's tongue. The horse doesn't like it, and so the horse slows down. If you, pre if you pull harder on the reins, it'll push down harder on that horse's tongue, and the horse will actually stop. You pull back even harder, and the horse tries to get away from what's pushing, pushing down on his tongue, and he'll even back up. So if you, want the, if you want the horse to turn right, you pull on the reins just a bit on the right, and what that does, it shifts that bit a little bit in the mouth, and that bit pushes on the, 
on the left side of the tongue, and so the horse turns right. If you want the horse to turn left, you pull on the, you pull on the reins, and that, that, that bit will shift just a little bit, press on the right side of the tongue, and the, tor- and, and the horse will turn left. A horse's tongue is a small little organ. And I don't know if you've ever been on the back of a horse. They are, they are monstrous animals. I mean, you can just feel the, the, the power surging beneath you. But you can absolutely control that horse by his tongue. Paul says, or James says, that we're the exact same way. The tongue has power, has power to control. He gives a couple of different, he gives a couple of more illustrations. He talks about the the ship, a ship, although it is is large and and even massive, massive ships, they have a relatively small rudder, and that small rudder guides them and controls that ship. And finally, it's a small spark. It's not a, you, you don't start a blazing fire. You don't have to start a blazing fire by throwing in a blazing fire. It takes just a tiny little spark. Just a tiny little, tiny little spark. So again, I've been around horses a bunch. You know what a horse without a bitten's mouth is worth? <laughs> Absolutely nothing. <laughs> they don't do anything. A horse without a bit in its mouth is absolutely worthless. Stands out in the pasture, eats a little grass, moseys around, switches his tail now and then. That's about about all a horse is useful for. A horse is absolutely worthless. I've never seen a horse walk up to someone without a bit in his mouth and say, Hey, I'm here to work. Hey, I want to plow that field for you. Hey, I think I'll go gather those cattle for you. No, you've got to put a bit in that horse's mouth. And when you control that tongue of that horse, you control the horse. And James says the same thing. When you control your tongue, when we control our tongue, when our tongue and our voice and the words that we use are able to come under control, then we are able to control our entire lives, and our entire lives will be able to be controlled. I mean, have you noticed? I think you probably have. Have you noticed how toxic our culture has become when it comes to our language? Have, have you noticed? I'm not just talking about curse words. I mean, don't get me started on curse words. And uh, I mean, I, I, I've, I mean I, I'm astounded at the words that we hear on so-called family sitcoms anymore. I'm astounded. I'm not talking about curse words, cuss words, swear words. I'm just talking about the words that we use. I'm just talking about the words that we use, how toxic our culture has become, and the kinds of words that we use as we, uh, as we criticize others, as we criticize those who are in leadership. I'll remind you yet again, friends, that this, these are unprecedented times. And our leaders have never been through things like this. So when we criticize our leadership, when we criticize our our city leaders, when we criticize our federal leaders, indeed, there are times, no doubt, no doubt, 
that they need to be criticized, but I hope and pray that those are helpful criticisms, not just simply being critical for critical sake. So here's why I found that, that the words that we use control, control who we are. You may have heard me say before, if you are angry with someone, you know the best thing that you can do when you are angry with someone? You pray for them. That's what, that's what you can do. I think praying for someone comes even before forgiving someone. That's what I found in my own life. People who have, who, have been, who, who have been angry and hateful and mean to me, what I have found, the way, the way that I can begin to the way that I can begin to forgive them is that first I begin to pray for them. I think it's very biblical. Jesus, Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount, love your enemies and pray for those who, who persecute you. What I have found is that you absolutely cannot be or stay mad at someone when you're praying for them. You absolutely can't do it. People who are nasty and mean and hateful and awful people Pray for them. Don't spew out hatred about them. What you say about them, guess what? Your heart and your life is going to follow. So when you verbalize that someone is a nasty and hateful and mean and awful person, whether it's a co-worker, whether it's a, a neighbor, whether it, I mean, it may be a neighbor who turned on their sprinklers and, a, and they, they turn on their sprinkler and get your car wet every single day. It may, it may be a co-worker that just absolutely grates on your nerves. It may be, it may be a friend that, that, that has turned their back on you. It may, whatever the case, begin to pray for them. Because when we, you see, when we begin to pray for them, we are beginning to speak words of blessing upon them, not words of cursing upon them. And the way that we, the, the way that we speak, that's where our lives follow. Because the tongue has the power to control. The tongue has the power to control. But just as the tongue has the power to control, the tongue also has the power to condemn. Now this is different. Now this is different than, than, than what we typically think of. I mean, we think of that we think of that old saying, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words can never hurt me. And we think about the condemnation that we, that we heap upon other people. And when people speak ill of us, we, we feel condemned. But I'm not talking about when we say that, the, that words have the power to condemn or the tongue has the power to, to condemn. We're not talking about to condemn the person over which that word is spoken. But it has the power to condemn the speaker of those words. The power to condemn the speaker of those words. James presents the matter of the tongue as another test of living faith because true faith will be demonstrated by speech, but likewise, false faith will be demonstrated by speech. Did you get that? True faith will be demonstrated by, by speech, but likewise, false faith will be demonstrated by speech. Nothing is more telling on the heart than the tongue. In every chapter in this letter, James mentions the tongue. Look at, look at, 
look at James chapter 3. Again, chapter 3, verses 9 through 12. With it, with this tongue, with this mouth, with these words, we bless our Lord and Father, and with it, and with that same very mouth, we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing, my brothers, this thing, this, these things ought not to be. As the young kids say, you kiss your mama with that mouth? The same, the same mouth that we use to condemn and to curse others, we use to praise our Father above. Why does James speak so often of the tongue? For one, for one, I, I believe that most problems in the world result from the tongue. Most of them, family feuds, church disagreements, workplace quarrels, political bickering, they are all results of the words that are used. And, and, and in my own life, I've seen that, to, I've found that to be so very, so very true. I've gotten into my, myself trouble time and time and time again with the words that I have spoken. I have a good friend who introduces me. This is how he introduces me. He says, hey, I want you to meet my friend, Leslie Broadbent. Let me tell you about Leslie. He will say things that only other people think. <laughs> I'm known among my friends as someone who is incredibly outspoken. If I believe it, typically I'll say it, whether it's appropriate to say <laughs> or not. I've gotten into trouble time and time and time again. I've gotten into trouble and when it comes to political environments, I've, I've gotten into trouble. When it comes to churches, I've gotten into trouble. When conference committees and boards and conversations with denomin denominational leaders, I've often been into trouble for the things I've said and mostly the negative things that I've said or, or possibly when I should have kept silent. As the biblical proverb says, even a fool is thought wise if he keeps silent, discerning if he holds his tongue. Or, or the modern proverb that is often, often attributed to Mark Twain, better to remain silent and thought, a few, and thought a fool rather than to speak and remove all doubt that you are a fool. Someone, someone once said that the tongue is, tongue is in a wet place and it can slip easily. And I found that to be so very true in this season of social media, in this culture of vitriolic speech that is spewed day and night. Scientists have said that the sound waves from the sound waves that have ever been produced, including every word that has ever been spoken, scientists say that those sound waves continue for eternity. If we, if we had a sensitive enough, um, if we had a sensitive enough machine, we would be able, we would literally be able to hear every word that had ever been spoken, every sound that had ever been made. Scientists say those those sound waves ripple, have a ripple effect, and they continue to remain for eternity. Think about that. 
Think about it that in your own life. What if, just what if, every word you ever spoke would be heard into eternity? I'll tell you. I'll tell you, it's, although scientists don't have such a machine, the Lord has such a machine. And the Lord has, He knows every single word that we have ever spoken. Just like Miss Kendall was saying, once it's out, it can't be put back in that tube of toothpaste. It's out. It's out. James is telling us. Notice, by the way, that James says that no human, no human could ever, could ever control the tongue. No human could ever tame the tongue. Notice that James says no human can ever tame the tongue. Notice that James does not say the tongue cannot be tamed. Because you see, the only way that the tongue can be tamed is through the Lord Jesus Christ. By the transforming power of the Holy Spirit that comes upon us. That's why, that's why when we become Christians, when we become faithful followers of Jesus Christ, when we give of our hearts to the Lord completely and wholly, then our lives and our speech become different. But when our speech is not different, when we continue to, uh, to, to spew out vitriolic speech, then we'll know, we'll know what's in our heart. So my simple, my simple word for you today is, is this. Speak only gracious words. Speak only kind words. Speak only loving words. Speak true words. Speak thoughtful words and holy words and sensitive words and edifying words. Speak only gentle words, comforting words, words of blessing, words of humility, words of wisdom, words of thanksgiving. Speak only unselfish words and peaceful words. For when we do that, when you do that and when I do that, then then and only then will, be, will, will the rest of our lives be able to be controlled. Then and only then will we know exactly what's in our hearts. When we have the love of God, when we have the very Spirit of Christ, when we have the power of the Holy Spirit in our hearts, then out of that heart will flow words of blessing peace. You see, the words that we speak, it's a heart issue. If you want to know where you are, think back on the words that you speak. Would you bow with me? Oh, Lord, as we think back on our words, We're convicted. Many of us may even feel condemned. As we think back on the words that we have, that we have spoken when we're driving on the road on a, on a busy freeway, 
as we've thought back on the words that we've, that we've spoken to those who are dearest to us, our family members, our spouse, our children, our parents. When we think back on those words that we have said behind others' backs, co-workers and bosses, when we think about the words that we have spoken online about those who believe differently, those who look differently than we do, those who come from a different place than, than we do. Oh Lord, change our hearts. Change our hearts so that the words that we use will not be words of condemnation, will not be words of judgment, but instead will be words of mercy, and grace, and peace. And Lord, I believe that I believe that today you want to I think that there are some people who are who are tuning in today that have been have been convicted about the language that they've used, foul language, swear words, words of judgment, critical words. Lord, I believe that you want to deal with some hearts today. As we join together in singing, oh Lord, we know that you, well, we just simply pray that you would deal with our hearts, that you would transform our hearts so that out of our hearts then would come words of blessing, peace, grace, and love. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.